Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Balance and Brews. We have another packed show tonight uh, featuring the latest and greatest in state and local government. Uh, we are excited to get to visit tonight with Sherman Smith, the editor of the Kansas Reflector, on tonight's show. But before we get to any of that, we want to start like we always do with good beer. And tonight, we're really excited to have our friend Seth with the pennant uh, visiting with us tonight. Seth, thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, Angel. It's uh, good to talk to you today. Well, yeah, I guess first thing first. Yeah, we're, of course, recording on um, this Thursday here before the weekend. So congratulations on uh, coming up on another anniversary uh, in downtown Topeka for the pay. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been a uh, quick uh, quick and, and busy four years. And, you know, we've, we've enjoyed every moment. If you cut out that little respite we had for, for COVID and everything, it's been, uh, it's been a great time seeing people come downtown and come to the pennant and kind of just seeing the restaurant evolve over time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to get all the craziness out of the way early. You know, if I'm sure from now on, it's just going to be smooth sailing. We're going to go with that. <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that all I have to, to worry about is, uh, you know, serving three and a half pound hamburgers to people. Right. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. It's a good problem to have. Thinking back on those those, those last couple of years, you know, what do you think you're you're most proud of or most excited about in all the time that you guys have been open? I I think overall, it's just uh, you know, there's a lots of points on this, so I hope uh, we've got a few minutes. Yeah, here. I mean, just just kind of seeing the the migration of people downtown has been fantastic. I mean, I've been parties to some surveys of Washington students, and you know, they list. It, the place they want to hang out is, is being downtown and um, you know the pennant I think has played a big part in that so um, really just proud of seeing people come downtown I mean I used to work down here I started with Hills Pet Nutrition and back in the, oh, back yeah. in the day in two, 2000 <laughs> and it was a, a ghost town at 505 <laughs> yeah. downtown so it's been nice to, to see that I've been very proud that we've been also recognized by uh, our our peers in Topeka as the best restaurant in Topeka the last three years. Yeah. That has meant uh, so much uh, to me, to my staff, uh, to Cody. Uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of hard work uh, to get there, and just very thankful for everybody in Topeka to you know really come out and give us a try. You know. Opening up a new independent restaurant isn't always the easiest of tasks, that's for sure. Um, and I'm also very uh, proud of, of my crew there at the Pennant. You know, I've had the same general manager there um, since day one. I've had some of my other managers that are day one employees there. You know, these guys work very, very hard, and I am proud of them, thankful for them. Uh, happy for you know all of the innovative ideas that they've brought to the table and 
and frankly, that they, they put up with Cody and I and our crazy ideas as well. So, <laughs> it's a good combination. Think, that's right. I think the last thing is just the, the spirit of innovation um, that's there at the pennant. You know, I think, uh, like I've told you before, people don't go out to a restaurant just to eat a sandwich or a burger and just leave and, and go home. A lot of times they want an experience and, hey, what, what's going on at the pennant? You know, what are, what are we doing at the pennant and things like that? You know, I think we've kind of pushed the envelope sometimes with our with our menu, which is, which is good. And, yeah. you know, we've done some crazy things, some crazy <laughs> Competitions, burger fights, shake fights, corporate <laughs> Olympics, arcade tournaments. Uh, you know, we, we've just done a lot uh, of uh, cool stuff. And, and you know, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we'll continue. And, and just the spirit of innovation is just high right now. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I could say any, any better myself, you know, especially when you're um, the first ones out there. Yeah. I still remember when the fit, the pen opened as being kind of one of the first uh, kind of new places downtown um, and being the ones kind of put yourselves out there and try new things that could be a little scary at first, I imagine. Yeah, it was very scary. I mean, we were, we were, we, we knew we could get a solid lunch crowd and just, you know, was whether or not people would come down for dinner and, and things like that. And then, of course, we had some some hurdles to get through. Our, our point of sale system blew up on us like <laughs> a week after we opened. Oh, and we really? had to replace it. And, uh, you know, Cody changed the service model on us, I think, like two weeks before we were ready to you open. Know, and that was, a, that was a huge scramble. So, sure. um but but it's worked out and, and he was right and I let him know he was right and I eat my crow. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, it, it's, it's amazing to think how, how far we've come in that time. You know, it's interesting. I even remember back when they first started talking about, you know, making these improvements to Kansas Avenue. And it's funny because at the time, you know, we, we talked it's, you know, it'll be years before we get to a place where we can do certain things at the time that seemed like so long. But, you know, here we are now, you know, uh, years, years away from that initial investment and it's kind of exciting to see those things are happening there now yeah it's, it's really exciting and it's exciting to see people come and invest uh, that aren't aim and, and frankly aren't even some of them aren't even you know local we're getting some people from out of state that are looking at properties and everything and yeah and it, it's just really exciting that you know Topeka's kind of uh, that momentum is really building that's for sure Absolutely. And of course, I always have a soft spot in my heart for, for Washburn, having been a, a double Washburn alum. And so it's so exciting to see Washburn students discover uh, downtown kind of through the pen in a lot of in a lot of cases and being able to really see that there's cool stuff to see do downtown. Yeah, I went to Washburn, too. And we never hardly ever went down. We, yeah. we actually went, went down when, Tuck, when Tucker's was open. Oh, I guess yeah. Showing, showing my age and everything. <laughs> but we... Uh, we used to always end up going to, to College Hill. Cody was a regular at Mad Squirrel. So ah. if, you see, if you see him again, you need to give him crap about how much time he spent at the Mad Squirrel. So. <laughs> I'm betting he probably wasn't the only find out that ended up at the Mad Squirrel over <laughs> over time. No, no, that's for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, if, if folks are coming down to uh, to visit the pennant uh, this week, yeah, what can they expect? What should they be on the lookout for? You know, a food special? or drink specials folks should know about? 
Yeah, after we uh, get through St. Patrick's Day and the parade, uh, one of the things that's been a real uh, success for us, you know, we've been very uh, conscious about people looking for value and everything that's going on right now. So in January, we launched a two for 25 menu that incorporates a lot of uh, our different menus. And it's been uh, really good value for for people. A lot of people come in over lunch with their friends. They do it two for 25. They, they share and and it's, uh, it's gone really well and it's helped uh, families out. We've also got a, uh, kind of a family uh, pack as well where people can buy arcade cards, bowling uh, tickets, and then they do uh, do a meal also for $50. So oh, nice. trying to, to get, uh, like I said, just provide some value to people. And then uh, on the beer front, you know, we always have during the happy hour, Kansas craft brews, the pints are $4 uh, during happy hour. We've got a lot of things going on. We've got Iron Rail beer. We've got Blind Tiger, Happy Bassett. Lots of uh, lots of beers down there that people need to come check out. And, uh, you know, we're also working on a, a, a few different new innovations and, and everything that uh, I hope that people will uh, come out and come out and see us that kind of... Uh, I'll just lay it out. We're working on an inflation buster menu. So huh. yeah, that, that, that's something that hopefully we'll, we'll have here uh, that'll uh, be exciting for people to see. Very cool. Well, yeah, again, speaking of innovative, you know, way to, to really think about kind of meeting people where they're at and how to you know, help people be able to come and experience the restaurant and, and be able to uh, you know, find something affordable uh, that they enjoy also. Definitely, definitely. Awesome. Well, now, of course, I know that you guys are always, always dreaming and scheming and coming up with uh, a new and exciting thing. So a little birdie tells me that you have some uh, exciting things coming your way in April. So anything you want to share related to that? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this one. Uh, You know, we usually did a uh, pop up in March for uh, St. Patrick's Day, but, you know, we decided not to do that uh, this year. Uh, just simply because, you know, we've done it a couple times and it's time to move on to something new. So in April, we're doing a, a pop-up and uh, without saying it, I'll just say that the title of the bar is a bar far, far away. And it's going, <laughs> it's going to uh, celebrate uh, the favorite uh, uh, intergalactic series, uh, and <laughs> Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, all of those yes. uh, movies and memorabilia. We'll have drinks that smoke and, and lightsabers everywhere. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, you are talking my, like, I'm the biggest Star Wars nerd out there just about. So this is, you're speaking my language. This is awesome. Uh, I spent the day today, you know, shopping for uh uh, Mandalorian flags and Galactic <laughs> Empire flags and, you know, neon stormtrooper helmets that'll be on the wall and uh, oh, that's awesome. LED uh, Death Star globes and everything. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of cool stuff out there. I don't, I don't want to give it all away, but, yeah. you know, we're going to keep it open through Star Wars Day in May. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be cool. And then uh, 
you know, we're also going to have Star Wars trivia that goes on. Uh, also there. <laughs> that time and, and everything that way. And uh, I don't know, it just come out, you know, there'll be different things from each of the episodes. Although I did put one restriction on my staff was no Jar Jar Binks anywhere in this, in this pop-up. So, uh, so as long as, as long as they did that, I, I think they're okay. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that, that's a, a very important point right there. That's, that's awesome. I, I can only, I can only imagine what your Amazon order list must look like. Your Amazon shopping cart right now. Yeah. My, my American Express card, like, that actually sent me an email today and they were like, are you really buying all this stuff? Is this a valid transaction? And I was like, well, yes, I'm, I'm buying all of the Darth Maul memorabilia. So. <laughs> That's all. Well, it's like, you know how like your websites, you know, will show you ads based on what you last look for. So are you just seeing like Star Wars stuff, like nonstop on your computer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star Wars stuff everywhere. And so I don't know. I just, uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan, especially of, of some of the older. I can't ever watch The Empire Strikes Back and not see something that I didn't see before. And you know, I love the opening scene of the Battle of Hoth. Absolutely. There's going to be. A, I will tell you there'll be a special section that'll be dedicated just to that battle. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's so cool. And perfect timing to you on Disney Plus just dropped the trailer uh, the other day for the new Obi-Wan uh, series that we started yeah. up. So perfect timing. That's right. That's right. So. Oh, it's awesome. Well, folks out there listening, if you want to watch someone just absolutely lose it and geek out in April, you can come find me at the Penheads pop-up uh, in April and watch me just geek out over all things Star Wars themed. So we, we know that you guys always do an awesome job order. So cannot wait. Yeah, it starts uh, April 6th and goes through May the 8th. Awesome. April 6th through May 8th. So I'm going to put that down. I'm marking that down right now, y'all. April 6th through May 8th. Uh, make sure to get down to the pen and enjoy an awesome, awesome Star Wars theme pop-up bar. Way, way cool. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of hard to top that, but you know, anything else you want people to, to, to know about coming up? Um, I, I just want to throw out there for the pennant too that you know we have the El Gigante challenge down there, which is the three and a half pound PB and J burger with fries. Oh, yeah. and so far, the El Gigante challenge is still undefeated. <laughs> we've had we've had a lot of people come in and try, even a few oh, guys that are competitive eaters. I had one guy like dissect it and you know put all the the bacon in one pile <laughs> and the bread in one pile and he was dunking the, the bread in the water, you know, like the competitive eaters do, but he's, he could not conquer the El Gigante. So we're still, <laughs> we're still looking for our, for our first winner and our, oh, our first uh, eater and in, into our hall of fame. So. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, the gauntlet has been thrown down. If you think that you you can take on El Gigante, I for as much as I can eat, I still don't know that I would be able to do it either. So I'll, I'll be anxious to see who, who can take that on. Yeah, we've had a few people get within you know a few bites. I I thought one guy was going to do it. He only had like maybe like I don't know three or four bites left, and he had three or four minutes left. And he was just like, I can't. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, man. Well, also, folks out there listening, if any of you take that on, let us know. Be sure to tag us on social media because we'd love to see love to see someone uh, take that on and be able to win. That's that's awesome. Well, so thanks again for hanging out with us tonight. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Angel. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully the weather will warm up here and we'll be into a great spring and a great year for Topeka, downtown Topeka, and everyone. Absolutely. And folks out the list, make sure to mark your calendars for April 6th through May 8th to get down to the pet to check out uh, the pop-up, the Star Wars pop-up during that time. And of course, anytime, make sure um, to stop by down there, check out their menu, all kinds of great options um, out there for anyone to be able to enjoy some great food um, and entertainment in downtown Topeka. Uh, so go ahead, folks, after this break, go ahead and stick with us. We will be coming back uh, after the break with our beer flight of the night, where, as always, we're talking about the latest and greatest happenings in state and local government. You're listening to Balance and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. Seven Eight Five Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local hey there, and everything it's Topeka. That time of that Learn more at Seven Eight Five Live Thanks for tuning in. Latest greatest happenings in state and local government here in Top City. So we're going to start off uh, like we always do with local government, and uh, this beer is actually going to be a pretty regular one um, on our flight here at Bells and Brews. We are starting with the City Manager Pale Ale. Uh, this, of course, is part of our ongoing hashtag city manager watch as the Topeka City Council works through the process of finding a new city manager. Uh, if you looked at this as a really multi-step process, which it is, uh, we are really still on step like 0.5 uh, when it comes to the search right now. Uh, we're, yeah, as we talked about the last few weeks, we're, we're right now in the, the process of trying to nail down the search firm uh, that will then start looking for the candidates for the city manager position. Now, last week's council meeting, the city council members did get to make their wish come true and they directed interim city manager Bill Cochran to begin negotiations with a local hiring firm. You remember, that's been a big focus of the city council to find a local firm uh, to take on this search. And that firm is none other than Kansas Professional Services, uh, a.k.a. Premier Employment Solutions. That's the name a lot of folks um, know it as. Or also uh, Key Staffing is also their, their related company, too. They kind of have different names depending on what they're, what kind of service they're doing here in town. So the city council directed uh, interim city manager Bill Cochran to begin negotiations with Kansas Professional Services uh, for conducting the city manager search. Uh, to be uh, to be a capital journal has some coverage of a decision from last week's meeting uh, where they know the council's continued disappointment in the number of applicants uh, for the search firm role. That's something we we talked about last week that the council uh, referenced in their week even before uh, was being disappointed at the the really lack of number of people that even applied for uh, that search firm position. Um, now, as we noted at that time, the council did receive four responses uh, to their RFP for a search firm. Uh, when you look on paper, Kansas Professional Services is actually the most expensive of the four. Um, they have really two kind of cost structures they can use. Um, there's one where you pay either a $45,000 flat fee uh, plus expenses or uh, a, a structure where they can take 30 to 35% of the expected first year compensation for the position. Uh, so we're talking a pretty good uh, good chunk of money and uh, city council members uh, really want to do their homework before they finally commit to this choice. 
uh, the firm does do work for the city right now. I think we referred to that before. I think their work for the city right now is in supplying uh, temporary employees and maybe some full-time positions in lower management roles, not in a, a role certainly like the city managers before. Um, so the mayor stressed, you know, really wanted to evaluate how the that firm handles their work they're doing right now for the city before they move forward with using them for the city manager search. Uh, now, of course, once we get the firm picked, uh, again, uh, this is just the beginning of the process, so the next step is actually deciding what we want the actual selection process uh, to look like for a new city manager, and that was a whole, that's a whole other thing. Uh, the council did take a stab at that last week, um, and one thing they agreed on was not to repeat the process they've done in the past. Um, and of course, as we talked about before, our process for hiring uh, senior city officials really has been highly scrutinized ever since the last police chief hire, uh, which of course was uh, generated some controversy in the community from how it was handled, uh, so the council is adamant about trying to get this process right. There is a lot of discussion about what some type of uh, selection committee being used and what that could look like. Uh, Councilman Lester threw out the idea that maybe there's a committee that's made up of uh, local executives um, and maybe representatives from each of the council districts. Uh, Councilman Kell had some concern with that idea, um, you know, wondering if that if such a committee uh, would truly represent the community. Um, when you think about local executives, you know, he wondered would that just look like a certain type of person, not really being inclusive of everyone in the community, um, and so they. Talked a lot about what this potential committee could look like. Didn't reach any any final decisions by any means last week. Don't answer yet as to what that's going to look like. But the council is trying uh, to be pretty intentional of how they design this process, uh, which also for all of you out there means probably another opportunity that you all may have to be involved with this process. So stay tuned as this moves forward. Uh, next up, we have the My House is Worth What IPA. Uh, of course, we know IPAs tend to have a pretty high alcohol by volume content, so we felt an IPA was the perfect choice for people who may have just opened their property valuations for the county and discovered that their house is now valued way more than it was last year, sometimes to the tune of up to 15% more than it was last year. And y'all, this is what I have never in my life been more glad that I do not own a house uh, than right now. Uh, housing values in this county are appreciating at the rate that we all hoped our beanie babies would appreciate back in the day. Now, mind you, this is applying to people who haven't done one solitary dang thing to their house in lots of cases. Uh, Capital Journal, once again, has some coverage of this, which even includes in their story a guy whose house has windows that are broken and have tape on the front of it. His home value went up 15% on his latest county valuation. So what's driving all this? Uh, well, the county appraiser, Steve Bauman, a man who I'm sure enjoyed a relatively under-the-radar county role before all this happened, uh, has some answers in the Cap Journal's recent article. Uh, first off, we do have to note that the process for how homes are appraised in a county is set by state statute. Uh, this is a process that Bauman confirmed the county still uses. Uh, the statute calls on the county to appraise property, quote, at what it should be able to sell for on the open market as of January 1st. This includes looking at, quote, recent sales transactions occurring in the different market locations. Well, I don't know if y'all have noticed lately, but our housing market here in Topeka is, uh, what's the official term? Oh yeah, freaking crazy. Uh, houses are routinely selling at well over their asking price. Uh, people are out here writing letters to people that are selling their homes to plead their case uh, to try and put them over the edge over another buyer is absolutely wild. So, Given how much houses are selling for and the fact that appraisals are set based on this data, 
Well, there you go. Uh, so according to Bowman, about 89% of properties in the county are seeing some sort of increase on their valuations. And just to put a fine point on it, I think everyone knows what we're talking about here, but these valuations are then what are used to decide uh, the mill levy and to decide property taxes for individuals. So that's why this is such a big deal when you see these increases, because it's going to translate you to property taxes here on down the line as uh, the county and other areas set their 2023 budgets. Now, this issue has also not gone unnoticed by city council members, including Councilman Tony Emerson, uh, who shared his thoughts with the Capitol Journal. Uh, Councilman Emerson made the point that, you know, in years when housing values are down, the county doesn't always use those lower values and will say that, you know, those are, are outliers, really, that they're not meant to be used. But in a year like now, when values are artificially high due, or to, due to lower interest rates, a slowdown, housing construction, etc., the county has no problem using those higher values to base their appraisals on. Uh, now, one glimmer of good news out of all this, residents can appeal their appraisal, and this is something a lot of folks don't always necessarily know about, and we're going to have some more info about how to go through that uh, that appeal process here at the end of our show in our Take Action moment, so don't forget to don't miss that moment here at the end of the show. Uh, next up on our beer flight tonight, it's back. We have the redistricting wheat. Uh, as we mentioned before, now that we have congressional redistricting done, uh, such as it is, uh, it's now time for legislative district redistricting. Uh, last week, Republican Senate leadership introduced their Senate map entitled Liberty 2, while Senate Democrats introduced their map labeled Blue Stem. Uh, the Kansas League of Women Voters also have a map that they have submitted. Um, and as a reminder, you can view all of these maps on the Kansas Legislative Research Department's redistricting website. Uh, we'll have that link up on all the ballots of Bruce social media um, as well so you can find that link but you'll be able to see all the maps and all the data right there on that website. So as we start talking about these Senate maps, uh, an important reminder, legislative district maps are subject to all the same criteria that those congressional maps were, or at least were supposed to be. Um, that is, they're supposed to consider things like compactness, contiguity, uh, preservation of political subdivisions, and preservation of communities of interest. Now, in addition, legislative districts have one additional factor that they're supposed to consider, and that is there is a policy preference for not redrawing districts so as to pit two incumbents against each other, uh, which could be easy to do as you're moving lines around drawing the maps, but there's we have a stated policy preference for not drawing new districts so as to combine districts and put two, uh, pit two incumbents against each other. So, uh, since it got uh, introduced by Senate leadership, we're going to talk about Liberty 2, the kind of leading map that's out there right now. Uh, the Kansas Senate just says some background information going into this. So, a reminder, the Kansas Senate is currently split between 29 Republicans and 11 Democrats, um, and Senate leadership claims that their map would preserve that same split. Uh, but, of course, the devil's in the details. Uh, so if you take a look, uh, for instance, with good old Top City and Shawnee County uh, to start with, um, this map would actually create an additional Senate seat for the city of Topeka. Uh, now, currently, the city is split between three senators. We've got Brenda Dietrich, who represents uh, southwest Topeka and all of Wabunsee County. We've got Kristen O'Shea, who represents a good chunk of North Topeka, as well as parts of Jefferson and Wabunsee counties. Um, and then over on the east side, we've got Rick Clues, who represents really the east and southeast parts of the city and all of Osage County. Now, this fourth district that would be created would force more of Clues' district into Douglas County, and it would include 
include most of Franklin County uh, in Recluse's district. Um, this new district essentially resembles a finger or a snake or a weasel. You know, there really should be like a Warshock test of when it comes to interpreting legislative districts and what they look like. Um, but essentially, this new district that's created would scoop up part of East Topeka and then would go all the way east to parts of Douglas County. Now, based on the demographics of that proposed new district, it would likely be a very Democratic district, or at least a very Democratic-friendly district, uh, which would shake things up a little bit for Shawnee County. All three of our current state senators are Republicans. Uh, but splitting the city up one more time, now to four different senators, does raise the question of how diluted the voting power of Kansas's capital city is becoming. And of course, we're not just getting a new Democratic seat for nothing. Uh, over in Johnson County, Johnson County would actually gain a new Senate seat, partly because of their population growth. Um, that seat would likely be a Republican seat. Um, what's interesting, that new seat would actually pit two incumbents against each other, something that our guidelines say we shouldn't do. Uh, both incumbents are Republicans, so party-wise for that area, it would be a wash. Now, interestingly, this map does create a new district drawn kind of in the south of Lawrence um, that does pit two incumbents against each other, and they're actually from different parties. Um, we have Senator Beverly Gossage and Senator Tom Holland, uh, Senator Gossage being a Republican, Senator Holland being a Democrat. Uh, so the fight over that area will be fascinating uh, to watch here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, one thing to note, too, while a lot of these districts don't remove Democrats or, or make it impossible for current Democrats to get reelected, it certainly does strengthen Republicans in a lot of Senate districts throughout the state um, and makes a lot of those seats less competitive for Democrats overall. Uh, for their part, the map drawn by Democrats does maintain three senators for Topeka and essentially largely keeps the status quo uh, for most districts kind of throughout, the, throughout the state of Kansas. There hasn't been a ton of movement on these maps yet, um, but that will likely change very soon. You know, one thing uh, to keep in mind, of course, that the filing deadline for folks who want to run for uh, election this year is June 1st. Uh, so that's in just a couple months. And so in order to give people who want to run for office some kind of clue about the people they might be representing uh, when they run for office. It's going to be important for them to get these vets figured out sooner rather than later. And actually, as we speak, the House is getting ready to introduce, I believe, some of their maps as well. So we should have House maps uh, as well here pretty soon. And of course, in, on the House side, we're talking 125 districts. Uh, so that's a whole other ballgame uh, that we'll probably get into next week. Um, and last, but certainly not least, we have the voting, let's make it harder, uh, sour. Uh, as we've discussed before, there is a real insatiable appetite among some in the legislature for passing laws related to election reform, uh, partially stirred up by the whole my pillow guy and all his nonsense, a phrase I never thought I'd actually have to say in my life. Uh, now, to be fair, we can always work on improving elections, and to that end, Secretary of State Scott Schwab has actually proposed several measures that can do just that. Uh, the Secretary of State, being the senior election official in the state of Kansas, has regularly defended Kansas elections while proposing some common sense and, wait for it, factually based reforms. Uh, one of those passed the Senate this last week. It was a measure that would require that a notice be sent to a resident after four calendar years where they did not vote request an advance ballot, or change your address. Uh, this notice is basically a way to clean up voter rolls, which is important. Now, in fact, most of the voter fraud that people out there shriek about is actually places that have voter rolls that haven't been updated in a while. Uh, hence, ballots are you know, sometimes mailed to dead people, or you have people receiving two ballots, etc. Uh, so this measure would actually go a long way to making sure that something like that doesn't happen in Kansas. Uh, but then there's House Bill 2056. 
Uh, this bill, which just made it out of committee a few weeks ago, would require all ballots uh, be returned by 7 p.m. on Election Day. Now, right now, if you receive a ballot in the mail, it must be postmarked by Election Day, but you have up to three days after Election Day for it to actually arrive at the election office. Now, probably the worst part of uh, some of this, this upcoming legislation is that for all except the five biggest counties in the state, it would restrict those counties to using one, just one single solitary drop box for returning mail-in ballots. So for 100 of the 105 counties in Kansas, they would be restricted to using one voting drop box uh, for ballots in elections. So just as a, a recap, what this legislation would do, we're gonna shorten the time that people have to return their ballot by mail. This is in face of the fact that as anyone who has tried to mail anything in the last year knows, mail delays have gone up significantly and are likely not to get any better here anytime soon. But no worries, you could just drop it in a voter drop box, except that your county only has one drop box under this legislation. And if you live in a large rural county, good luck figuring out where that one drop box is. Now, there is a little bit of hope here. The Kansas House did pretty much kill a similar bill that tried to limit the days they had to return a ballot. Uh, they've done that before, so we're not really sure what the wider legislature is going to think of this measure. Um, though there are some that still say that they hear from constituents regularly about their concerns over mail being delayed. Um, and here again is where I just want to make the point that as an elected official, you have a couple of choices in how you interact with constituents. Uh, one choice is to embrace misinformation and continually stoke the flames of others who would propagate that misinformation, or you can acknowledge constituent concerns while also educating them about how things actually work uh, and then having further conversations. Of course, if you're a legislator who relies on seizing on the irrational anger of misinformed people to get reelected, there probably isn't much incentive for that latter option. And that, folks, is our beer flight for tonight. Stay tuned. After the break, we are going to have a fascinating interview with Sherman Smith, editor of the Kansas Reflector. I promise you do not want to miss out on that. Uh, you're listening to Ballots and Brews here at KSF 75 Live Radio. All right, everyone. Well, tonight we have a very special guest with us. You know, you have often heard us refer um, uh, over uh, the past couple weeks and months on our show to reporting from the online newspaper, The Kansas Reflector. And so tonight we are actually really excited to have with us Sherman Smith, the editor of The Kansas Reflector. Sherman, thanks for, for hanging out with us tonight. I can't think of anybody I'd rather hang out with right now. Thanks for having me. Oh, shucks. And you guys, we didn't even pay him to say that or anything. So <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, well, you know, Sherman, as we get started, for those of us who, who for, for folks who might not be familiar, can you talk a little bit just about what the Kansas Reflector is? Yeah, we are a nonprofit state news service. We have our, our headquarters here in Topeka. We have an office. I'm actually speaking to you now from our office in the historic Columbian building, just a couple a uh, couple blocks north of the state house. Awesome. Um, you know, we cover the state government, the legislature, but, you know, we kind of broaden that to really apply to any stories of statewide interest or just compelling news stories that, um, you know, we think would reach a, a good sized audience and, you know, maybe filling a, a need somewhere where others aren't reporting it. Absolutely. Well, you guys are in a great location too. the Columbian Bank building. You guys have the white linen down there and uh, a new cocktail bar coming soon. That's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, I, I can't wait for the cocktail bar to open. We may have to relocate uh, our, <laughs> our bureau down there. Right. Well, especially when you cover some of the things that you guys cover. I feel like that's a good place to have nearby. <laughs> 
They make it easy to find compelling news stories in the state house. Right, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, um, you know, talk a little bit about kind of why why is having a uh, a publication like the Kansas Reflector so so important? You think it kind of where where was the genesis of that the idea to to start the Reflector? Yeah, sure. You know, I I think um, some folks know I was at the Topeka Capital Journal for 16 years before I launched the Kansas Reflector in 2020. Uh, and I, you know, I guess I should say that uh, we are an affiliate of State's Newsroom, which is based out of North Carolina. They're working to put uh, journalists back into state houses where the, the reporting ranks have been depleted over the years. And so, you know, in, in Kansas, that means adding, um, you know, myself uh, and three reporters plus an online or excuse me, an opinion editor to the, you know, what was already a really strong reporting ranks over at the state house. Uh, you know, we we significantly increase the presence of journalists who are over there writing about what's happening on a regular basis. And it also gives us the ability to, you know, pursue some of the the in-depth stories that that otherwise wouldn't be told. And, you know, our, our peers at, at news organizations all over Kansas are doing really fantastic work as well. But there's no shortage of stories that that can be told or need to be told. And so it allows us to, you know, pursue things like uh, Noah Taborda last year wrote about um, this this man who had been uh, in in a jail in a rural part of the state for six months, uh, just waiting to be extradited to Mexico, and it just kind of seemed like a punitive way of keeping him there indefinitely for no no apparent good reason. Uh, Allison Kite wrote about the the severe staffing shortages at a private prison up in Leavenworth where there's a lot of violence and, and drug problems and, and other kinds of problems. The federal judge called it a hellhole. Um, Tim Carpenter wrote about um, in a series with Pilar Pedraza from, from Cake TV about some domestic violence issues in Wichita in a series. And I was able to, to write about a kind of systemic failure to provide the, the services that the children with autism need in Kansas, especially those in foster care. Um, so those are some of the kind of the stories that, that we're able to report on that, that otherwise would go untold. Um, and I think just during the legislative session, we're able to pick up additional debates and, and issues that lawmakers are talking about that people might not realize. And because of our model, we're able to get these. Uh, we allow anybody else to run our stories for free. So we're able to get these stories out in front of you know, readers in you know, gosh, 50, 60 publications across Kansas and sometimes beyond on a, a weekly basis, people who otherwise would not be reading state government news. That's awesome. That's, and, you know, I, I think that especially that focus on the in-depth reporting, I think that's what I what I found so valuable is that ability to really dig into those those stories that otherwise would go uh, unreported uh, and to make that available for free to people, I think is such a is such a huge resource nowadays. <laughs> You know, I, there's some others who have tried this nonprofit route, and I, you know, I kind of feel like I'm cheating compared to the, <laughs> the hard work that they've had to, to put in. Because, you know, with our generous um, contributions from from states newsroom, they they provide the the necessary funding, kind of the the bare minimum to get us up and going and, and operating. And then we rely on the the generous donations from readers here as well. 
um, that really makes this possible. Sure. Absolutely. Well, of course, uh, you all have been uh, just a tad busy uh, in the last uh, few months as we're, we're nearing you know, the halfway mark almost of the legislative session. There's been no shortage of things to, to talk about. So we'll, we'll talk about, yeah, we could be here all night talking about things, but uh, just a, a few uh, a few things that we'll touch on that have come up of, of late in the legislative session. Um, you know, there's a story that uh, you all ran just the other day talking about really this, this pair of Senate bills uh, that are out there right now, SB 418 and SB 438, uh, both of which deal with elections, uh, which of course is a hot topic in uh, our legislature and, and other legislatures around the country. And uh, we've got SB 418, that's uh, dealing with preventing the Secretary of State from entering into any judicial agreement that modifies an election procedure without approval from the Legislative Coordinating Council. And then we've got SB 438 over here that adds this mandatory audit uh, for uh, of 10% of county precincts if the margin of victory in election is less than 1%. Um, so I think what's more, the bills themselves are interesting too, but kind of the genesis of these bills and the procedural process is also pretty interesting. That's kind of what it's got some people hung up. Can you talk a little bit about these bills and, and really what's got people, what's kind of the hubbub uh, about when it comes to these two bills? You know, I think there's a lot of sensitivity right now about uh, these election bills. There's a, an understanding that the real motivation here is coming from uh, Republican leaders who are trying to appease a, a base that largely believes the presidential election was stolen in 2020. Mm-hmm. And you have, I think, some advocates for voting rights that are, are are being very cautious about whether you're really restricting the ability of, of people to go out and participate in, in democracy. And when you look at, you know, legislation like the ones that, that you mentioned, I should say, too, I think that there's a a more uh, concerning bill for election activists out there that would, you know, potentially restrict the use of drop boxes to the point that they can't yeah. be used at all and, and maybe tightening the the window in which you could actually do advanced voting. Um, but the ones you mentioned, uh, you know, one of these really stems from the, the fear that during the COVID-19 pandemic, that maybe through uh, an executive order or something like that under an emergency, you could have either the governor or the secretary of state or somebody else um, put out new new ways of of conducting an election that that maybe are not consistent with the law. Like you know, what if the the governor ordered a ballot to go out to every registered voter through the mail? Oh sure. Uh, that sort of thing. And we did see, I think in other states, this was the basis for some of the, the legal challenges, other states where they did take emergency action to say, you know, we're going to make it easier to get to the polls because we don't want people standing in long lines when there's an infectious disease going around. And the, the genesis for that one, you talk about the, the other one dealing with uh, audits. This is something that I think there there actually is common ground with a lot of um, election observers, voting rights advocates who you know have said you know if you really are serious about making elections more secure, because um, a lot of times we're talking about voter fraud that doesn't actually exist as the the basis for for some of these laws. Uh, if you really want to make elections more secure, let's ramp up the audits. Uh, when you look at the Secretary of State, um, Scott Schwab, and his primary challenge from somebody who routinely uh, says things that just aren't true about election security, I think it's important for him to demonstrate that he is doing something for his base, that he is doing something that will make elections more secure. And this is one of his ideas is to uh, 
to provide more audits, especially when you know that you have a close race. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know what? I think it's been interesting too. Is you know, there's every year, of course, there's there's outside groups that that seek to influence legislation in the state, groups from outside the state, national uh, advocacy groups, and 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 whatnot. But we, it feels like we've seen that kind of go into overdrive here in the last uh, last year or so. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, we've we've certainly tried to identify when we can. Uh, and stories when when we're dealing with model legislation, uh, and, and you know, again, this is one of the benefits I think we have uh, by being an affiliate of States Newsroom is I can get into a uh, you know our messaging system and ask the the editors of 26 other uh, state affiliates, you know, are you seeing this kind of legislation in your state, and what do you know about who has brought it forward? Uh, you know, we see this with uh, you know bills dealing with. Uh, transgender athletes in schools with the parental bill of rights, um, a number of the election kind of ideas I think have been floated elsewhere as well. Absolutely. Yeah. For folks out there listening, what we're talking about is, you know, there are national advocacy groups out there that will come up with these model pieces of legislation, essentially templates that states can adapt and legislators can take and essentially fill in the blank um, on that piece of, of legislation. And so that's what we're referring to that that seems to be popping up uh, uh, more and more. And it's funny because sometimes it's it's really easy to track down those, those outside groups where it comes from. And sometimes it's a little bit uh, more nebulous. And so it's kind of interesting to see kind of where the, the beginnings of some of these, these ideas are out there. Yeah. Lawmakers don't always like to acknowledge where these things are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, as, as proof that nothing ever really dies in the, the legislature, too, of course, we've uh, been hearing over the, the last uh, couple of days now, we've gotten back into debate um, on transgender athletes um, in participating in athletics um, in schools. Can you talk a little bit more kind of about the, what this bill looks like this year? Yeah, speaking of, of model legislation, uh, and, you know, this is an example where Senator Renee Erickson, a Republican from Wichita, she introduced the bill last year, was asked on the Senate floor who wrote this bill and and uh, said that it was just the revisor's office, you know, the, the attorneys at the state house who are, you know, in a nonpartisan role, just drafting legislation at, at lawmakers' requests, uh, which was an obvious lie. She knew that this came from a a national group that um, really promotes an anti-LGBTQ agenda. So we brought the bill back. She again introduced the bill, got a hearing in the Senate Education Committee on this. Uh, and it's you know basically identical to the bill from a year ago. Uh, and it's the same kind of debate over this. I think there's a misunderstanding about what it means to be transgender. Uh, and it really, really does stem from a, a faith-based uh, opposition to uh, gender identity and LGBTQ community at, at large that's that's driving this. Um, but of course, they describe it as a, a fairness for um, for athletes at, at a who are trying to compete in high school and college. Um, this bill actually applies all the way down to uh, through elementary school, um, as we heard Tom Witt, uh, executive director of Equality Kansas, say uh, during the, the debate, this potentially would apply to children as young as four years old. And because it's not just the you know official sports, but also any kind of intramural activity um, or club activity that, um, you know, theoretically, this could be applied to kindergartners playing kickball, um, yeah. which is. Yeah, kind of taking it a little to the extreme. I, I think the supporters of the bill would say that's not really the intent, but uh, it, it kind of exposes the the raw emotions that are 
that are coming in the, out of this. I think the real difference that I observed from last year to this year, um, you know, we really just saw a, a very small handful of people who supported the bill this year. And with the exception of a couple of senators and one, one local um, representative of an advocacy group, they were all people from, from national organizations that are promoting this all around the country. Uh, we saw more than 100 people turn in testimony in opposition of this. 16 people were able to uh, speak during the hearing. The, the attendance almost entirely supporting the LGBTQ community overflowed the, the committee room. They had to set up kind of a staging room next to it where they were screening the hearing so that people could still watch it. Uh, it was an extraordinary turnout for the LGBTQ community. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's what I wonder if that's one thing you witnessed too is that we've uh, seen, while well, we've seen certainly efforts um, on, on one side and some of these national groups too on these kinds of things, we it seems like on the other side too, when it comes to organizing, um, a lot of uh, more liberal groups or Democrat based groups and things like that in the state have, have seemed to have stepped up their organizing game in the last couple of years as well. I think we saw a little bit of a lull over the past two years because of the pandemic. And sure. I think there is some, some concern about actually showing up in crowded yeah. spaces with a bunch of people who believe that masks don't help anything and vaccines uh, don't work. And uh, meanwhile, there are people dropping all around you. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, that kind of deterred these kind of large showings over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you about, you know, of course, another issue that uh, this is something that, uh, you know, the governor wants, both parties want, my mom wants, because my mom asks me about all the time. And so this is the, you know, getting rid of the sales tax on uh, food. And so there's been, you know, multiple uh, different bills um, out there. There are two that came up in the, the House this week. Can you talk about kind of where we're at on that issue now? And what what would you say are the, the prospects of, of that, those, any of these bills going anywhere this session? Yeah, this is something everybody wants. Uh, and so you just kind of wonder why has it happened? <laughs> you know? um, I, I do think that something will will get done. There are really two big considerations for lawmakers, which is whether you immediately end the sales tax on food or do you try to step it down in some way? Uh, complicating this was the governor's push kind of uh, surprisingly early in the session to provide a big economic incentive package for a mystery company. Uh, the Kansas City Stars reported that they believe that this is going to be Panasonic making batteries for cars yeah. going into uh, old munitions plants near DeSoto. Uh, but the, the package was over a billion dollars in incentives. And this was not part of the governor's budget. The, the <laughs> cost of that was not included in the budget that she gave to the legislature at the start of the session. Uh, so when you start looking at these, you know, two, three, five-year outlooks, things start to get a little dicey. I, I should say I've been over here since 2018. I've never seen a five-year outlook that did not show the state plunging deep into the red. Right. Uh, but there is this concern that, you know, if we're giving a billion dollars to them, can we still afford to, you know, cut another 400 and some million dollars in 
the the sales tax revenue that we get from food every year. Uh, what's that going to do? And should we take a more cautious approach? There's this lingering lesson of the the brownback tax experiment where they they cut too too much too quick, uh, and then spent years trying to catch up with it until you know everything just kind of went to hell. Yeah. Uh, so there is a proposal out there that says let's let's reduce the overall sales tax for the state from six point five to six three uh, six point three percent. That's uh, applied to everything. So there's an immediate savings for everybody on everything. And we'll reduce the the sales tax on food to three and a half percent. And then we'll put a hundred million dollars into a piggy bank, basically. And if we don't need to pull that hundred million dollars out of the piggy bank every year, we'll continue to lower the sales tax on food so that by the year 2026, you could end up uh, with uh, a zero percent sales tax on food. Um, but I think there's a lot of people uh, really on both sides of the aisle who say, actually, we need to do this right now. This is too much of a burden on low income families and just families in general. This is something that would help all Kansans. Let's just do this now. And we have the surplus to do it and we'll figure it out later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you know, what's interesting, too, is, you know, assuming that this passes also, you know, then the interesting thing is who gets to take credit for it, right? Because, you know, we've got a election coming up and, and both uh, candidates uh, for governor would like to take credit for that. And so seeing the uh, uh, seeing the maneuvering that people do to, to take credit for that will be interesting. Yeah, the governor really wants this to be part of her reelection campaign to, to show one more thing that that she's been able to do for the state. And I think for Republicans, there's some interest in saying, you know, if we do the stair step approach, we can say we're being more responsible with your your tax dollars. Absolutely. I mean, those, those elections just just complicate things just that much more. <laughs> politics, my friend. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, more more broadly, uh, you know, what, really, what is it like to cover the legislature uh, these days? You know, I think a lot of us you know, sometimes see, you know, we feel like there's more hostility towards th- towards the press nowadays than there has been in the past. I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, what that what that feels like for you all that are actually in the state house every day. Well, I think that there's always support and there's always people who are never going to like what you're doing. And I, <laughs> sure. I just don't know how that's really fundamentally changed over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. Sure. Uh, I think about it more from uh, when I look at the findings of American Press Institute survey from a few years ago, where, you know, something like 30% of the of Americans said they had actually met a journalist. They knew a journalist. Mm. And I feel like that's more of the underlying problem. People, they have a, a, a wide range of information sources. They don't actually know uh, what journalism is necessarily. They don't know who we are, what we do, why we do it, how we do it. And I think there's uh, a lot of friction because of that. Uh, and so I think we have to do a better job of just kind of educating people about it. But I would also say that um, I, when I was at the Topeka Capital Journal, I was the the managing editor for a while. And before that, I I handled um, the, the digital audience portion, uh, ran CJ online for a while. And overwhelmingly, the responses we would get were were negative. Oh, sure. Think, you know, maybe that's because it's just a a longstanding institution in that community one and and also a, a for-profit business one of the things that was really surprising to me at the kansas reflector is that the overwhelming overwhelming majority of feedback that we get is is really positive uh which is 
nice to, to see. And I, yeah. I don't know if it's because we're a nonprofit, because we're new, because we have a statewide audience. Um, you know, I think maybe all of those things are factors, but I do think it's a reminder that there are people who appreciate, you know, fact-based reporting, uh, and, and that makes it easier to, to navigate all of this. You know, there are always, you know, certain lawmakers who don't like what you're writing. Um, you know, others who, who appreciate that you're there. It's just kind of part of the job, I guess. Sure. Well, it's good. I'm glad to know that there are people that are showing their, their appreciation for the, the work that you guys do. That's good. Uh, and, and, you know, that actually leads into the you know, next thing I was going to ask, you know, in a, in a world where the term fake news is a thing, you know, how do you, um, as journalists, how do you, as a, a, a publication, you know, how do you cut through that? How do you tell, you know, the honest truth? And, and sometimes hard truths that people may not want to necessarily, uh, people may not like, but there is the truth that has to be reported. You know, how do you, how do you cut through that? in today's age? Well, I think it's just kind of the, the basic tenets of, of journalism is that you, you are reporting facts and it's easy to distinguish yourself from fake news when, you know, you show that, that you are independent journalists who are experienced in, in journalism, who are writing fact-based news stories of public interest. And I think you try to be relevant in, in people's day-to-day lives. You write stories that might interest them, that, um, that, that they're going to talk about that tell them things that they otherwise wouldn't know. And I think if you demonstrate that you have some value in that respect, then people understand and, and respect to what you do. Sure. You know, what do you think? Uh, it's just going off script for a second, but yeah, what do you think if you had to look in the, the future, you know, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for, for journalism, especially for the kind of journalism that you do when it comes to covering local not politics in general, but especially uh, local politics, local government. I, I like how you say there's a script as if they're, they're really working. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I, you know, I think for me, I just try to focus on writing you know, compelling news stories of public interest. I you know, keep beating that drum. Yeah. Um, my wife likes to to joke about how I, you know, somebody's going to have to pry the keyboard out of my fingers. <laughs> um, fortunately, that's a ways away. <laughs> uh, you know, I think for me, it's really interesting to see what model is going to prevail, what model is going to survive. Uh, I think everybody knows that there are a lot more journalists working today than there were 20 years ago. Uh, and I think we have to find a way to reverse that trend. And I don't know, you know, how to do it exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just going to focus on demonstrating the value that journalism has because I think that's what I can do and, and, and what we can do well at the Kansas Reflector. You know, somebody else has to figure out how we continue to put bodies back into not just state houses, but local school board meetings and city council meetings and courthouses and uh, streets of, of communities that historically have not been uh, covered very well. You know, there are a lot of those sort of challenges out there and uh, it's something that, you know, is going to require a, a reckoning with, I think the, the people of this country. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and you know, too, yeah, we were, I was talking with someone else about this the other day, you know, that with one of the few silver linings out of the pandemic you know, is the fact that so much uh, government, especially local government figured out how to be virtual or at least how to broadcast their proceedings. Do you think has that been helpful uh, to you all in your coverage? Well, it, it, it has been extremely helpful, sure. um, you know, especially with the, the legislative hearings, being able to, Go ahead. I mean, people maybe don't realize that there might be 30 hearings in a given day. You can't yeah. possibly, you know, attempt to cover all of them. Um, 
but if you miss something, you can go back now and, and watch it. And then we can watch things, you know, from remote, whether it is a, a contentious school board meeting or, or anything else. You know, I think technology is working to our advantage in that way. You know, where I, I want to be cautious is this tendency, I think, for some elected officials to say, you know, hey, if we're streaming on YouTube, we don't have to let the reporters or even the public mm. in there. And I think that that's going to be problematic. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Well, you know, as we as we wrap up here, just for fun, because of, of the career you've had, I'm curious, you would have been some of your your favorite or your your most amusing moments uh, covering uh, the state legislature? Because, of course, there is no shortage of, of entertainment value, I'm sure, in that in that position as well. I don't know about uh, entertainment, entertainment or or amusing. I I, th- I think one of the wildest moments was when Steve Bannon came to town. Oh, that's uh, right. Back in 2018, you know, I think there were people alerting us all day that they were getting these strange text messages about him uh, appearing at this Holiday Inn. I think it is. In, oh uh, yeah, to pick up on the highway, just a very small <laughs> roadside hotel, and. Uh, you know, I called the hotel and they said, you know, people need to stop calling us. This isn't actually happening. It's just a scam. Oh man. And so I, I drove over there to, you know, thinking I might be able to talk to a couple of disappointed uh, Trump fans. And uh, instead I found that there was a staffer there setting up and he really was going to be there. Huh. And, uh, he wound up appearing for, you know, maybe 15 people, something like that. <laughs> it was, it was just so surreal. Uh, you know, it's like a, a dirty carpet and uh, mismatched walls, wires dangling from the ceiling. He's standing there and what, you know, looking like somebody that uh, was invited off the the river in Noto uh, for a, a warm beverage or something. And, uh, you know, rallying the people around a congressional candidate that he readily acknowledged was not a good human being, but he didn't care because he just need the numbers in the in Washington. And meanwhile, the congressional candidates uh, chief of staff is in my ear on the phone saying we have nothing to do with this. this oh, my God. Idea, you know, uh, <laughs> And and I was just kind of deadpan tweeting throughout this of, you know, the crowd is swollen from 12 to 16, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, here are the biggest fans. And it was, you know, three elderly women looking slumped over in, a, in their chairs. <laughs> uh, and that got uh, a lot of attention. Some, you know, Newsweek wound up writing about my tweets, which, uh, just, you know, it feels weird to have a national publication writing right. about on Twitter uh, and not like because I said something racist or something like <laughs> You know, this is actually a news event. Um, that was uh, maybe the wildest thing. Uh, but I've gotten to do so many fun things and talk to so many fun people. Uh, the, the real value, I think, of being in the legislature is that it's like a continuing education course. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you get to learn, you know, in a really in-depth way about any number of topics uh, on a day-to-day basis that... You know, otherwise, I'm not going to go seek out information on how far a wind turbine should be set back from somebody's property or, <laughs> you know, even know how to find people who are going to you know, talk about this. But, you know, you go to the state house and then in uh, one of these hearings, you'll find 20 landowners who are really mad about the turbines popping up around their house, the wind turbines. <laughs> so there's that uh, element to it. I, I was able to talk myself on board the Goodyear blimp when it came through. To nice. Uh, so. 
it seemed like a great idea until the guy pointed to the ladder that was flickering around in the wind and telling me, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's how you get up there. But, uh, don't worry. I haven't had anybody fall off yet. Oh no, 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 no. You know, you finally <laughs> crawl into this thing and they explain that, okay, you know, you, you people need to go to this side. You need to go up to the front and you need to go over <laughs> here all of doing this one, one at a time in a choreographed way. Cause if we make any sudden movements, this thing could shoot 20 feet in the air. <laughs> while somebody else is climbing up the ladder. Right. That was a little uh, unusual, you might say. But <laughs> get up there, it's 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 the most spacious, comfortable uh, ride you can imagine. You're just like floating across Topeka, looking out at the state house, uh, like you're on a pillow. Uh, huh. It was an amazing experience. Um, so you get to do fun things like that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things uh, that that I get to do in this position that I, I really value, there's a, an organization in Kansas City called Global Ties KC that's been involved with bringing uh, journalists from all over the world. I think it's through a State Department program uh, to this area to learn about uh, journalism and democracy and and other things in in uh, the United States, and so. In 2019, for instance, I got to meet a group of a dozen or so journalists from Ukraine. Mm. Um, they were, you know, so thrilled and and, and and proud of what they were doing in their country. Uh, of course, they had just gotten thrust into the news because of the, the revelation of the phone call between Donald Trump and, oh, yeah. and their president. Um, but, you know, they we had this uh, wonderful conversation. They're doing such you know, fabulous work over there as uh, investigative journalists. I've been following, uh, you know, shout out here to Valeria and Marina and Nadia. Um, you know, now I, I, I look at the, the Ukraine flag and, and notebook and uh, pen that they, they gave me. And, and, and I watch these surreal reports that they're filing from, you know, the, the bomb shelter in Kiev and Odessa and elsewhere in Ukraine. Uh, and it's just, it, it's heartbreaking. And, um, you know, it's, it's not the, the fun, wild, entertaining thing that I think that, that you were asking for. Sure. It's kind of another example of, um, you know, the, the power of journalism to, to reach a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, for sure, never, never a dull day at the office uh, for you either. So, you know, it's lots of really incredible um, experiences and, you know, thank you for everything that, that you and, and the rest of your staff um, at the reflector are doing to, to keep us all um, informed at a time when it's, you know, more important, I think than ever to, to be informed about what's going on. Yeah, well, thank you for reading. Thank you for having me uh, on. If anybody's interested, we have a, a free daily newsletter you can sign up for at kansasreflector.com. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go, folks. Make sure to check out kansasreflector.com. Make sure to follow them on social media um, as well for some really great uh, up-to-date, uh, great uh, tweets and, and whatnot to stay up to date and everything happening um, at the legislature and beyond. Uh, so with that, folks, uh, remember to stay tuned. We're going to have a quick break um, and then we'll be back to end things up we, like we always do uh, with our take action moment of the night. So you're listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. All right, folks, we're going to wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. Uh, now, to start off, uh, back during our beer flight at the beginning of the show, when we got talking about how housing valuations in Shawnee County are going up higher than Stoop Dog on Mount Everest, uh, we mentioned that there is a way to appeal said valuations. So here's the details on that. 
Uh, first off, take note that the deadline for doing this is March 31st, so just a few weeks from uh, from now. Now, on the back of the valuation notice that you received, you'll see a place where you can actually indicate whether you have questions or a desire to appeal your valuation. You can mail that form back to the appraiser's office. You can also call the appraisal office at 785-232-4461. That's 785-232-4461. Or you can send an email to snappraiser at snco.us snappraiser at snco.us. And again, we'll have all this information on our social media as well. But any of those uh, those methods, whether you mail that form back in, you make a phone call or you send an email, any of those is a way to contest your valuation. And simply what happens when you do that, that's a very informal process. So it's not, it's this nothing Judge Judy like about it. You're just calling up the office or letting them know that, hey, I disagree with this. Um, and what they'll do is they're first going to talk you through the valuation. They're going to talk to you about how uh, they arrived at the value they got. They'll verify some information with you as well to make sure that they've got correct information. Um, and then they're going to give you the opportunity to uh, make your case essentially as to why you think that valuation is too high. Um, and then they'll make a decision after that. Now, if you don't like how the appraisal's office resolves your case after you make your case to them, you can further appeal that valuation to the Kansas Board of Tax Appeals. It's a special body that's designed just to hear these kinds of, of appeals. And then, of course, if you don't like their decision, you can then go on to appeal the Board of Tax Appeals decision to Shawnee County District Court and work through that process as well. Um, you can find all this information outlined on the appraiser's website. You can go to snco.us slash AP um, to get to the appraisal office. You can find all that information on there. You'll find uh, a presentation that references some of those facts and figures we talked about earlier uh, about how the appraiser's office got to the valuations that they've got. You'll find that on their website as well. Uh, just to know, I mentioned that March 31st deadline is somehow you missed that deadline, which I know there's a lot of things going on. Um, you can also appeal when it comes time for you to pay the first half of your property taxes in December or in that following May when you have to pay the second half of your property taxes. Um, you can appeal during any of those times as well. But March 31st is that initial deadline here coming up pretty soon. Um, Another thing to take note of, as we talked earlier about redistricting, um, you know, you heard us talk about the Kansas League of Women Voters many times. We've talked about that kind of throughout this process. And we just can't encourage you enough to stay up to date with their work. Um, you know, we've talked about redistricting at the federal and state level, but don't forget, we're also going to need to do redistricting at the local level, at the county and city council levels um, sometime soon. And when it comes to advocating for fair representation at every level of government, the League of Women Voters is one of the driving forces uh, behind uh, behind that work. So again, we can't encourage you enough to stay um, in touch with the incredible work that they are doing. They do a ton uh, to keep people informed about issues, keep people educated about issues, and of course, to get folks registered to vote that a lot of people know them from. Uh, you might know them from some candidate forums, candidate debates, and those kinds of things that they sponsor as well. Um, I'd highly recommend following the Shawnee County League of Women Voters on social media. They're on Facebook. If you just look up uh, Shawnee County uh, League of Women Voters Kansas, um, and they're uh, the, the statewide league is also on Twitter at, at LWV Kansas. So look them up on there 
to stay up to up to date with the latest and greatest from the League of Women Voters of Kansas. And of course, one final reminder, since we had Sherman from the Kansas Reflector on the show today, just a reminder, you can catch all of their latest free coverage of all things state and federal government. They do some really good in-depth work on what's happening in the federal government vis-a-vis Kansas as well. You can follow all that uh, on their website, kansasreflector.com. Um, and of course, they're on social media, so you can follow them on Facebook um, and on Twitter at, at Kansas Reflector as well. So folks, that is our show for tonight. As always, be sure to follow us on social media. You can look us up, Ballots and Brews, on Facebook and on Twitter. We're just at Ballots Brews. Uh, we'll be posting um, update information on there. A lot of links that we talk about here we'll post on there. On uh, Twitter, we live tweet each of our shows with additional background information on there. Lots of good stuff going on, on, going on on our social media pages. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Audible, whatever that podcast app is. Make sure to subscribe up there so you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. Um, and if you like what you hear on here, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on one of those apps as well. Uh, but until next week, folks, please, please, please stay safe and healthy. Drink some good beer, and we'll catch you next week here on Balance of Brews on KSF 75 Live Radio.